Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Mike and Mike podcast, or Mike and Michael, or however we say this. Um, anyway, we're glad you're here. We're here. Um, we've had a little hiatus. Um, Michael absconded to Florida for a while to spend some time with the family. Um, and so uh, we kind of missed a little bit there, but we are back and better than ever this morning. Michael, how's everything in beautiful Somerset? Everything is well, my friend. It's good to be back. Very good. So as as you all know from tuning in with us, and, and maybe if we've got some new viewers or it's been a while and you need to catch up, um, we are going through um, really the entire Bible, but we've been focused so far in the Old Testament, looking at, at, at stories, at historical accounts, at situations where we can learn uh, principles that can make us better at work, that can make us better Christians at work, um, based on how they did. Now, you know, some of these that we've looked at have been, you know, we looked at Laban uh, a little while back, and, you know, some of it is we learn from others' mistakes, right? You know, you don't always have to learn from the successes. It's, you know, good a lot of times to do an autopsy to figure out why something died um, and why it was a bad idea. And so, you know, we want to learn from successes and failures of others. That way we can be better. Um, I'll, I'll give our, our disclaimer as much as uh, Michael loves to give it as the disclaimer of, of the two of us. Uh, we understand fully that these messages that are left behind in Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are there for spiritual purposes. Please do not misunderstand anything we say. That is 100% why they're there. We believe that there are secondary applications that can make us better at work, that can make us better, more profitable, um, that the lessons that we can learn. These guys that we look from that are very successful, they were successful for a reason. The ones that failed, failed for a reason. We think those principles translate. But please don't misunderstand that the most important thing, so some of the stuff that we're going to talk about are side points, are smaller points to the story. Please don't misunderstand. The main point is still the main point, right? Let, let's, let's not get off on that. Um, but let's look at some of these side points too and secondary points so that, that we can be a little bit more rounded in this space. Which brings us to today, um, one of probably the most infamous characters in, in scripture, you would agree, Michael, um, our good friends Ahab and Jezebel. Um, I mean, there, there's probably not, you know, two worse people uh, in all of scripture than these two. Uh, but Michael, since you're our, our resident historian, uh, bring us up to speed. Who are Ahab and Jezebel quickly and, you know, kind of not tell their whole story necessarily, but and where do they fall kind of in the span of biblical history? Sure. Um, you know, if, if just the, the phrase Ahab and Jezebel, you know, brings some unpleasant thoughts and distasteful kind of uh emotion then then you've you've probably got the right reaction because these are these are very distasteful folks so so we're we're in uh you know history would tell us we're in the neighborhood of 850 to 900 bc and we are in the the period of the divided kingdom and and ahab is is a king of the of the northern kingdom of israel his father omri kind of um established the kingdom in samaria um you know, the, 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 the nation had been divided for some time, but the kingdom hadn't, you know, the, the kind of the uh, capital, if you will, of the kingdom hadn't really been established in Samaria. And I think it was Ahab's father that kind of finally uh, established that in, in Samaria. And, and Israel is, you know, we're in the salad days of Israel from a political standpoint. You know, they're, they're, they're fairly powerful um, uh, in, in the southern kingdom of Judah, a little less so. <clears throat> but that is not because of the quality of, of the kings, at least at least the the spiritual quality of the kings. Um, we get this succession of, of of evil kings and and those that oppose God or, or um, either are ambivalent to God or outright hostile to God. And 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 Ahab is is no exception. Um, yeah. So again, you know, we're we're a few. Um, I, I think I saw eight uh, generations from David here. Um, if you if you look at in as far as the the lineage of the southern kingdom um, and so kind of give you some perspective on on the on the timeline of, of where we are 
uh, Ahab is, uh, uh, for political purposes, marries uh, Jezebel, who is a, is a queen from from Tyre, if, I, if I'm remembering that correctly, um, or or you know part of the the royal family in Tyre, and so there's a, there's a marriage for political convenience. And we, and we first kind of learn about Ahab, you flip back a few chapters. We're going to be in 1 Kings 21 primarily, but you flip back a few chapters to 1 Kings 16, and you kind of learn a little bit about Ahab and how evil he was. Um, and, and it says in verse 30 that he did more, he did more evil than, than all who were before him. And you don't have to read very far back in 1 Kings to say there's some, there's some pretty raunchy guys ahead of him. And so the fact that he did more evil than all of, the, all of them is pretty significant in itself. The Bible's a little understated in that comment, but, but we're talking about a, a pretty filthy guy. We, we, as we get to 1 Kings 21, we've already been through the confrontation with Elijah on Mount Carmel, if you're familiar with that story. <clears throat> and so um, Ahab has already had some run-ins with prophets of God, and, and, and those have not always gone well. Um, and it's, it's his, his opposition to God and to God's prophets is firmly established by the time we get to 1 Kings 21. But from a uh, political economic standpoint, he's been fairly successful. He just defeated the king of Syria in 1 Kings chapter 20. And so, you know, he is, um, he has some standing as a successful king as we get to 1 Kings 21. And you know, as a king of a successful nation that comes with certain expectations, and that probably gets us to, you know, where our story begins. And and that's because that there is a there's a neighboring vineyard. Um, uh, it says beside the palace in verse one of chapter twenty one. Uh, Ahab is jealous, covets that vineyard, and that kind of sets in motion all the things that we see in chapter twenty one. So. <clears throat> Let me, I'm going to give a brief kind of overview to this story um, so that we, we can get to the points here. We, we don't have time um, to go deep dive into the story and all the other principles that are there, but let, let's just kind of very, very high view go through this story. So here's what happens. You know, as Michael said, Ahab's feeling great about himself and Naboth has his vineyard that's next door. Ahab decides, hey, you know, I'd really like to put my garden there. You know, I think that'd be a great place for my garden. So it goes to Naboth and he says, Hey, um, I want that. And I will either pay you the cash fair market value of the vineyard, or we can swap. I'll give you another vineyard somewhere else. That way you still got a vineyard, but I get my garden. And Naboth bucks and says, I don't think so. Um, it wasn't because the money wasn't right. What well, didn't have anything to do with the financial transaction in and of itself. Naboth was very concerned with his lineage. He inherited the land. It's a family deal, family business. You know, sorry, King, no dice. So for lack of a better term, and, and you could again, you can read the exact verbiage here, but Ahab throws a fit. He goes to his room. He's not going to eat. Don't want to see anybody. He's fussing. Jezebel, being the good wife that she is, comes in and says, honey, well, you know, you sure you don't want to eat? No, you know, I wanted something, couldn't have it. And she says, don't you worry about that. I'll take care of it. Mama, take care of this. Mama, fix this. And so she went about fixing it by writing letters to the elders and uh, the leaders of is it Jezreel. Jezreel in Jezreel and say, hey, why don't you all get some worthless guys, you know, proclaim a feast, get Naboth there, get some worthless guys to make some false claims against him, take him out and stone him, and then, you know, that'll take care of it. So they do just as the queen says, and uh, Naboth is murdered, essentially, uh, over this vineyard. And so – she, as soon as she gets word back that Naboth's been murdered, she goes to her husband and says, hey, you know, it's taken care of. It's yours. Go get it, big boy. So he goes and he walks into the vineyard and he's enjoying himself. And Elijah comes and gives him the news that, hey, God's really not happy with this. Everything you've done is terrible. You're an awful person. And there's going to be consequences. 
And so he tells them he's going to die. His whole family's going to die. His wife's going to die. And it's going to be ugly. Now, Ahab, and, and this is up for a lot of spiritual debate, but again, not a big part of what we're going to talk about here. But Ahab at least partially repents here. You know, I, Mike, I'll let you comment on that if you want to. I mean, I, I don't know how genuine this is other than he didn't want to really die in the moment. Um, don't know that he really felt bad for anything that he did. Uh, but anyway. push back, yeah, as you get to the end of the chapter, my only pushback on that would be that the word of the Lord's, the word of the Lord, who I think I'll, I'll, I'll take his word for it. The word of the Lord said that he did, he had humbled himself before the Lord. So that's verse 29. So there was, to your point, there was some, there was some manner of repentance. Whatever happened here, Ahab did have a little bit of remorse and he did humble himself before God verse 29. So that that's, that's from the word of the Lord. And he did get some relent of the disaster. Well, that's, again, that's not the point of, our, of, of the main point of what we're talking about. Right. The so, two things, some two, some ahead, relent ahead. of the disaster, but you know, obviously he didn't turn from his ways and become a Christian. Yeah. Still some consequences for sure. <clears throat> and you can, you can read on and, and determine that all is not well. All right. So, um, those so, consequences come in. Let, let me just quickly wrap that up and then I'll turn it over to you. Um, yep. So consequences are going to come um, because of that, but their kingdom's going to be ripped apart to shreds and destroyed in the days of his son. But this is also the prophecy, the pronouncement, if you're familiar with the story about the fact that Jezebel would be eaten by dogs. Like this is where right in where this comes from um, here yep. in chapter 21. And that Ahab's blood, and that Ahab's blood would be licked up by dogs in the same place up by that, dogs. that Naboth's yeah. was. Yeah. So, just a couple of things before we can dig into the business lessons. A couple of things, just kind of about the the, the casual evil of Jezebel. Um, you know that uh, we we shouldn't slide by or take lightly what Naboth went through here. I mean, th this is a an extraordinarily brutal way to die, as as anyone who is kind of studied stonings or, or, uh, you know, thought about that as, as an innocent person, um, accused by false witnesses and taken out and stoned that that's, that's a very brutal, um, and awful way to die. And, and Naboth almost a, a, a Jesus figure in that way. And then false accusations and, and, uh, and taken outside of the city to be executed. And the second, the second point I think is interesting. If you, over in Second Kings chapter nine, that when Jehu is kind of uh, cleaning house and taking care of some of God's uh, laundry, you know, so to speak, in in Second Kings chapter nine, cleaning up um, for some of this evil, um, it says, "As surely as I saw the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground." That's what that's what God says to to, to Jezebel. And so there's some evidence that, you know, if you, if you think logically about it, if, even if Naboth died, what would happen to that property? Well, Naboth wanted to keep that property because of the, the uh, lineage and, and it was in his family. And so you would assume naturally that it would pass on to his heirs. There's certainly some evidence in scripture that Jezebel also murdered his heirs. And so, yeah, just, just the, I've already used this term, but just the casual evil of Jezebel that she, she had no qualms about murdering this this entire family um to, because to ahab threw a fit yeah I mean, let's, let's, let's let's understand exactly what happened here you to get her get your way husband. and threw a fit so yeah. let me make this better by murdering some people yeah so i think that helps kind of put the story in context of, of who we're dealing with um and the evil of it um so kind of with the groundwork laid there dig into a few um put our biz put our business hats on for for a moment and dig into some of the kind of business concepts here that, that i think and you think are interesting and and i'll i'll, I'll start with the fact that the, the the crux of this story is a is a business negotiation kind of gone bad this is a this is a this is a a business transaction this is a a deal that didn't get done um it never it, they never were able to reach terms 
Um, you know, a, a transaction requires a willing buyer and a willing seller. That's kind of like day one of business school, right? And and we we never we never reach that point here. And so there there is kind of a a very simple lesson about how do you handle negotiations and how do you handle negotiations when they when they go sour and and obviously we kind of see Ahab's response to this negotiation is childish childish and petulant and you know kind of embarrassing frankly um but but you know what what can we learn about you know how how we respond to failed negotiations all right so there's um if you're a publicly traded company, and so our, our, our caveat to a willing buyer and a willing seller is if you're a publicly traded company and I'm another publicly traded company and I want your company, I can buy up all your outstanding stock. And that's what's called a hostile takeover. You just buy up all your stock and now we own you because we own all your stock. Well, you're buying it from a willing seller. So I'm still, I'm, I'm still standing by my point, but you go on. Right, but the willing seller may or may okay. not be the board of directors. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. So, you know, as as you go in there, so this is another form of a hostile takeover, but far more hostile than takeover um, that happens here. So one of the points that, that we want to bring out is, you know, our failed negotiations, you know, sometimes we're just not always going to get our way, regardless of what we're willing to spend. You know, by all appearances, you know, Ahab was offering, you know, a fair price for this vineyard. He was offering a, you know, even a 1031 exchange for our uh, keen-eared listeners uh, of property. So, I mean, he, it was it was all at, at the beginning, you know, above board, a fair transaction and all of those things. But what Naboth had was intrinsic value, right? He said, this is worth more to me than the coins it's worth more to me than another vineyard there's i've got intrinsic value that we've got history here this is part of my family i'm not doing this and so you know we've all we all that have been in business that have worked on maybe mergers and acquisitions that have worked through you know maybe you know just our own personal buying and selling of real estate you know you're not always going to get you know, what you want, or maybe even what you want at the price that you want. But how do we react to that? You know, the, I, the, to me, there's, there's a couple of different ways that, that we can react is, you know, one, we can throw a fit like Ahab and do everything within our power to subvert what happened and go down the evil path. I think that's an option, obviously. Second option is we can you know, maybe try to up the offer, continue to negotiate in good faith, do what we can there, see if we can appease it. Um, but the third option is we can, it's okay to lose, right? It's, it's, it's okay that that door closed and go find something else, go figure out another plan. But I think that's, you know, part of, and I don't know whether it's American culture and society, but that idea that we always have to win like sometimes it's, it's, it's really okay to lose some of the best business deals that I've either lost out on or haven't worked out throughout the course of my life turned out to be the best things that ever could have happened because I ended up on another path. You know, at the time it doesn't seem great, but again, being more open-minded and trying to look at it holistically, it, it can be taking you on the path that you need to be on. Michael yeah. thoughts on, on, on that idea. Yeah, I mean, why why do auctions work? Is <laughs> because we don't like to lose, and and in those those kind of settings, kind of bring out a little bit of the worst in in uh, competition and in the the desire to win and and those you know some of those things. And so <clears throat> the other thing I think is interesting here is sometimes at least I have read this account with the mindset that you know Naboth is this you know poor subsistence level farmer and Ahab is trying to take advantage of him. And I don't think that the text uh, supports that there, there's, there's, this is obviously a nice piece of property and um, vineyards and winemakers were uh, pretty well respected and um, economically successful business people of the day. And so, I mean, there's a very good chance Naboth is a, um, is a man of some means himself. 
and, and, and probably has, you know, he's got a little estate here. And so this is not, this is not some dusty corner patch that, that Ahab's going after. If it was, he wouldn't have wanted to put his own garden there. Right. This right. is a, this is a sizable, successful um, piece of property. And, and so I, I think that does color the way we look at this a little bit. This is not Ahab and this is not some dusty little farmer shaking his fist at the king. This is, this is not exactly a transaction between equals, but, but this is, this is not um, some huge disparity in power and wealth is, it's pretty clear that Naboth had some, um, had some means also. And so I, I think that helps, helps me put into context that, that, you know, how this negotiation went, Naboth didn't mind to say to the king, uh, you know, it's just, it's just not for sale. Um, and, and to your point, sometimes we gotta, we gotta go find a new plan and, and develop a new strategy and move on from those, you know, even when we think we're on the right path, if those, those negotiations fail, we, we can't, we can't allow those failed negotiations to lead us into a, uh, a morally and, you know, kind of dark or uh, depressive place uh, that, that we got we to be able to press on. Right. But <clears throat> let, me throw, let me throw this back at you to our second point. But what if, let's just say that I walk away and maybe I'm disappointed, but I walk away from the negotiations, but some of my people make something happen. Like, I, I obviously don't have anything to do with that. I just said I'd like to have this, but I didn't instruct them, you know, necessarily to do, any, do any murdering. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just, but if they, if he could be encouraged, then, you know, encourage him. First of all, what kind of people do you have? It's like, <laughs> you got a consigliere that's going to come take care of me if I don't agree to your, 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 your yeah. So I know some people that know some people that know some people. <laughs> the, there, there is there is some like mental salve that helps us if if somebody does something kind of underhanded that helps us but we don't do it personally and and I think this is an example of many that we could point to in scripture that say we, we better not we, we better not uh, assume that our hands are clean in that transaction Ahab certainly weren't um, when the Lord came he didn't come to Jezebel only, even though she's, you know, filthy, um, comes to a uh, word comes to Elijah and says, go to Ahab because Ahab is responsible here. Yeah. And Jezebel pulled the strings because she's who she is, but Ahab is responsible. And so I, I think, frankly, that should give any of us that, that manage people pause that we are in some regard responsible for um, their actions. Um, now, obviously, they can leave the rails and do things that we wouldn't approve of, and and we got to we got to be judicious and hold them accountable and those kind of things. But we also see in in this case that there is some responsibility if if there's evil happening, if there's wrongdoing happening, kind of on our watch. Yeah, there there's uh, there's a, a term in the the business investment world that's called willful ignorance. You know, and, and that's when a, a CEO, a board of directors, a leader chooses to not know as opposed to really not knowing. You know, it's your that idea of turning a blind eye, like I'm going to walk out of this room. But if you all do some murdering or cook the books when I leave, like I'm not going to know about it. Well, that that's willful ignorance because you should know. And, and I think especially in management and leadership, sometimes what you know what will this is a terrible analogy and I'm, as you all know, by now I'm full of them, but what it reminds me of is, you know, like if you've ever tried to coach middle school or grade school basketball and you tell the kids like, this is how you do stuff. You pass three times and here's where you shoot. And the one kid that can't make a layup has got the ball 45 feet from the basket and you see in his eyes, he's going to chuck it. Right. You know, you can see, He's getting ready to fire with all he's got. And you say, no, 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 no. And then the ball goes in and you're like, good job, Johnny. Right. I, I think that's what sometimes we do as managers is this is the kind of shop we want to run and we want to have ethics and morality and whatnot. 
But if you hit your sales quota, even though I didn't want you to do that, we're still going to celebrate. And, and that, I think, is the difficulty that we get into is the ends cannot ever justify the means. You know, we have to, as, as managers, as leaders, have those conversations with our people that says, if you got this deal, regardless of how economically viable it is for our quarter, for our year, for whatever, if you got this in an unscrupulous way, it's not right. You're not going to be rewarded for that. You're not going to be praised for that. And as a matter of fact, we need to try to figure out a way to walk this back um, if it's done in an unscrupulous manner, because we don't want to win that way. We don't want to be successful that way, because as with Ahab, and another point that we're going to make later is there is always a cost. When you do things the wrong way, there is unintentional cost and consequences that never make it worth it. Yep. Uh, I, I don't, I know we made this point, but I don't think we should move on without at least acknowledging what a poor negotiator Ahab is. <laughs> I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, that it's just, it's just almost, again, it's embarrassing. It's almost comical that he doesn't go back with a higher offer. He doesn't go back with um, some other incentives. You know, he's, he's the king. I mean, he could, he could offer some incentives here. He, he could, but um, instead he goes and lays on his bed and doesn't eat dinner. I, I just, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to handle negotiations? Um, I think is important. And and maybe there's something about that, that, that people who get a little bit of power and authority, forget that you, you, you got to negotiate for stuff. There used to be everything being handed and, and kind of forget that you got to get down in the weeds and, and negotiate and fight for stuff. I mean, he could have given him a title and a fancy hat. I mean, there's all kinds of things that were still left on the table. Yes. i I'm, I think there's some interesting, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but, or this rabbit trail, but there, there's something interesting about the fact that he, he, he started trying to negotiate with this person um, rather than just going to take it. Right. I, I, I have to understand a little bit more about the, the land laws of, um, you know, ancient Samaria, but, you know, a powerful King, you would think with Ahab's, uh, moral disposition would have just gone out immediately and taken this, but he, he did rather choose to try to go negotiate first. I think there, there's something interesting there, but I'm not sure what it is. Well, and I think that's to your earlier point. Um, he probably could have if it was a tenant farmer, but Naboth with the vineyard and, and the other thing um, to circle back just quickly is what do they say in real estate? What's important? Location, location, location. His vineyard's right next to the palace. Palace is not in the slums of Samaria, I promise you. So the fact that his vineyard was there, it was adjoining the palace, tells me that Naboth was a man of some renown. Um, that, you know, so he couldn't just go steamroll him. But, you know, he used, but I still don't quite understand how he uses, you know, these elders and they're okay steamrolling them. So maybe there's some jealousy, maybe there's some, you know, back-end deals of, hey, we'll chop up part of his fortune and give you some. I, I don't know, but that whole thing <clears throat> blows me away. So let's talk about that next because I think that is the, the next important point. And I, I agree with you. There, there seems to be – there has to be more to the story here that we that we don't know, and uh, obviously there is. But in, but if you get to this, how did, how did we – the mechanics of getting Naboth killed – involves Jezebel writing letters to, we read in verse eight, the elders and the leaders of the city. And, and there, there is, I think, a uh, kind of a parallel business point here that we can make is that how are we going to react when we, when we see abuses of power um, in business and particularly when we're asked to participate in them? Um, so, and there, there's probably two different questions here um, for, from that regard, but, but these these elders and leaders are asked to frame, uh, convict, and murder Naboth. And they, again, what, what more do we know about the story? They seem all too uh, eager to do that. And in fact, that's what they, that's what they do do. Um, now, was it because of fear? Um, was it because of they were being paid off? That's, that's the part of the story we don't fully understand. But... These these elders and leaders, they were they were ordered to do something 
that is clearly immoral. And if if we are in our business um, environments ever put in that unfortunate and uncomfortable situation, um, you know how do we how do we handle that moral dilemma? Is probably the next kind of business uh, business idea we can find in this story. I, I, and I think you answer that a couple of ways, right? That you know, one, and, and this came up, I think, if I remember right, in one of you know our previous lessons about you know roles of management, and whatnot. But if I remember correctly, the way we answered it. Um, unless somebody wants to check the tape on me, is that part of this is you've got to find a way to respectfully decline. You know, hey, we'd like you to murder somebody. Don't think I can do that. You know, it's one thing if you're asked to, you know, not fully disclose something, you know, right? If, If we got, you know, problems at the plant, let's not fully disclose those to one of our customers. You know, let's, you know, try to talk around this. And depending on what they want you to say, um, you know, some of that gets into just flat out lying, right? So there, there's there's some caveats there, right, that you may get in uncomfortable conversations. But when we're talking about something like this, I mean, it's blatant. It's like acting to commit fraud. You know, it'd be tantamount to, you know, the the CEO of, of my bank coming in and saying, Mike, we're going to, you know, we're just going to change the books. You know, you said, you know, we had X dollars of revenue last quarter and, I'm going to need you to enter that as why, you know, I, it's just fraud. There, there's no way around that. It's not, Hey, based on this accounting rule change, we can do accelerated income or anything like that. We're talking about just blatant fraud. Now there's a couple of ways you've got to go about that. One, you've got to figure out how to respectfully decline. You don't want to say, you know, I, I don't, unless you want to keep your job, you don't want to definitely say that, Oh, you're a crook and a scumbag and I'm not going to do that you respectfully decline and you cite morals and ethics and whatnot. But the second part about this is if you're put in that situation, especially if you're put in that situation very many times, you've got to figure out if you need to be working for that corporation. Yes. And, and I think that's, that's the larger question is, you know, in, in this situation, these elders and town leaders, you know, if you're asking us to murder a guy, I don't know that we should be in leadership here. I don't know that this is exactly, you know, I'm not sure how everybody's going to act down at a at team modern, but if Michael and Mickey come out of the C-suite and ask their uh, operations manager to go murder somebody, I would hope they would discuss their resignation. Yeah. Blair, we're going to need you to knife somebody this weekend. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where to go with that. That, that comment. Exactly. <laughs> that, and, and I, I don't want to be, too flip with that, um, with that answer, because those are, those are really, you know, kind of gut-wrenching hard conversations and hard decisions because you, you know, you're you're dealing with people's livelihood and with people's families and, and, you know, the decision to, to walk away comes with consequences. Um, and, and, you know, there, we've talked about that many times in the course of these studies is, you know, doing, doing the right thing to be a godly person in business doesn't mean you're going to win every time. Um, and, and, and there are consequences to making godly choices um, on this earth. And, and that's, that's not unpleasant. And we want the guy in the white hat to always win. And, and business didn't like that. Um, no. Sometimes, sometimes Jezebel wins. And, and we got to be, we got, we, we got to be aware run. of that. Yeah. Especially in the short run too. Right. You know, you may be okay in the long run, but, it may be 10 years before that comes to fruition. You standing by your guns and being moral and ethical and doing the right thing could cause you to go through bankruptcy and a bunch of other stuff. And 10, 15 years later, you're, you may be in a much better place, but that's the difficulty too with, with consequences, right? Is that even Jezebel and Ahab's consequences here in first Kings 21. I mean, we're, we're a decade before that happens, right? You know, on, on the timeline. So you know, yet Elijah comes and says, you're going to be punished for this, but that's way on down the road. You know, evil, all evil never prospers in the end, but the end may be a long time from now, right? That may be way on down the road. So we, we've got to, you know, kind of be okay with that, that 
as Michael said, sometimes the bad guys win, and especially in the short run. And 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 they may have success where we may have you know some heartache during during that same time. But but we've got to we've also got to be okay with that. Here's the other side of it: is not only do you run into that with maybe you're losing a job, but that also could be a roadblock you hit. You know, upper management comes in and says, "Hey, we need you to do this." you know, immoral, unethical, fraudulent thing. You're like, you know, I just don't think I can do that. Well, you know, if you could, we'll give you this bonus. We'll fast track you to this spot. And you say, you know, I'm, I'm just not comfortable doing that. Okay. Well, you're going to stay in your role here permanently. And we're going to go get somebody that's going to be a team player. I love that word. You know, it's a, a team player that is, you know, would sell their mama for a nickel. And they get moved up the company. So you can see, you know, these divergent career paths here. And that's that's the pressure. That's the temptation that when we get to that crossroads to say, you know, maybe if I do do this, it's better for my family. And it means this bonus and it means this promotion and it means this and that. And I'm now in a better position to support my family and do more and give to the church and you know, help the needy. And, and we go down this path of all these good things we can do with all this extra money. But at the end of the day, we've got to answer that question in our heart is, is this ill-gotten gains? You know, I, would it be okay? I mean, here's a question really to ask yourself. Would it be okay if you're gambling and you, you know, you hit the whatever, blackjack, roulette wheel, whatever, and, it, and you get, you know, $10 million dollars? Like, does it make it okay if you gave $5 million to the church? No, it's still not okay, right? Ill-gotten gains is ill-gotten gains. It doesn't make it okay because you do some good with it. Um, so I, I think that's all part of this as well, is understanding that, you know, you can't justify these actions. But we also have to understand that the consequences are hard, right? It's, it's not, you know, it's not just that easy that, well, I'm going to stand on my moral ground and be rewarded for it. No, you could lose your house over it. And, and that's real. Yep. Um, and obviously our perspective of time and God's perspective of time makes that difficult. I mean, I mean, you say the short run, um, but it may be 10, 15 years, you know, that may be the short run to God. And, and so I, that, that, that time perspective always makes these, always makes these conversations challenging. Um, the, there may be a couple more things here on Ahab. I, I'm just struck by one of the things that that's recorded for us in First Kings chapter 21, verse 25, as 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 we talk about, you know, what what are you willing to to give up um, to be successful? That this comment was made about Ahab. It kind of I think it should strike all of us. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, the concept of being a sellout, you know, that's probably overplayed in today's culture. But, but I mean, he, he sold himself to do what was evil. Uh, I, think, I think that could be said about many people in the modern business world. They, they have sold themselves um, for a few shekels, um, all the porridge. <laughs> and, and if you put it in those terms, we'd never say that, but that that's what they've done. They've, they've, they've sold themselves. And so are we, are we able to, to look ourselves in the mirror and go to sleep at night and say, well, you know what I'm, my role in, in my business, my role in my occupation, whatever that role is, I'm working for the Lord and I'm not selling myself. Uh, for for something that that I don't believe in, uh, that's a simple point, but I think it's uh, I think it's one that's worth thinking about. Yeah, if you all remember back to I think the first podcast we did in this this section of of Christians at Work, the most important thing we can ever understand in business is you do not work for X Y Z Corporation. You are employed by God. You just happen to be paid by X Y Z Corporation. And so we've got to understand who we ultimately answer to at all times. And if we can keep that in mind, that maybe I lose this paycheck, but I'd rather lose this paycheck or some worldly possessions than my soul, that, that that's what's got to be in line here. Um, but to Michael's point, that verse, I mean, I, you, you, that's what you're selling out here. 
you know, understand you're not just, you know, when, when you go down the path of these transactions, um, you're not making a difficult choice. Yeah. You're not, you're not make you not made a bad decision. You sold yourself. Yeah. So, uh, makes it a little harder to do the mental gymnastics with. (laughs) Yes. And self-justify, which we're really good at. Uh, yeah, the, the, the rider is pretty blunt here, um, and be pretty blunt with ourselves. The last point that I think we were going to make, and it's a pretty simple one is that, um, Ahab in some measure did, did repent a little bit. Uh, as we've already talked about, he did humble himself before the Lord, as it says in the end of that chapter. Um, and I, you know, how genuine and how long-term that was, we've already, we've already had some discussion, but there was some measure of genuine remorse and, and repentance here. And ultimately that, that didn't change the consequence, um, uh, materially that, you know, there's still accountability. And when we, when we make a terrible moral or just business decision, um, those, those consequences happen and we, we, there, there, there should, and there needs to be some accountability, um, when, when those decisions do happen and even, even genuine remorse shouldn't eliminate the accountability. Yeah. And there's, there's a verse I'm looking for here, scrambling for it, but, um, uh, it's in Hebrews 11 or 12, but the, the spirit of the verse is that um, in, in reference to Esau, don't despise God or despise the blessings of God because yeah. they can't be recovered even when you seek them with tears. Yes. Right. So, and, and I think that's, that's part of this lesson here too, is we can be sorry. We can be tearful. We can be emotional. We can feel terrible about something we've done, but that doesn't undo the consequences. It, it doesn't change that. Um, you know, there are certain mistakes that we can make in business, you know, for example, back to our, you know, mythical fraud case, you know, if, if you're the CFO of a company and you commit fraud, guess what? You're not going to be a CFO in the future. I don't care how bad you felt about it. Don't matter if you served your prison time or, you know, paid your SEC fine or whatever. If you fraudulently acted on books, you know, so very quickly, not to take a big, long sidebar, but if you remember the boys at Enron back in 02, you know, they were the smartest guys in the room because they had this way that they were doing accounting and it was, you know, it was a big energy company and the way they were using credits and whatnot. These were, you know, these guys are geniuses. They weren't, they were crooks. (laughs) And when they're, and, and they even convinced you know, an accounting firm. So when this accounting scandal went down, all of those guys are done, but also they took down, Michael, what was the accounting firm? Uh, Anderson, wasn't it? It was Anderson. I mean, just destroyed the careers of this accounting firm, right? And and in some ways, you know, that Anderson Cooper st- still hasn't recovered to the level of prominence they were prior to this. So, you know, those consequences, again, are, are real. Did they feel bad about it? Did they learn their lesson? All those things? Yes. But those consequences are real. And sometimes, again, depending on the mistake, you may never get a chance to make it right. Hebrews twelve seventeen, I think, is the passage that you're looking for. Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. And you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no chance to repent, though he saw it with tears. Um, that, you know, we're not saying those tears of Esau weren't legitimate. I'm sure that he was very remorseful and and sorrowful in some ways repentant. But there 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 is a time when that that train's coming down the tracks and we can't sidestep it. It's the accountability for for the things we've done. And we can and, and understand that you know repentance because of Jesus takes away our spiritual consequences for sure. Absolutely. There's nothing you can do that you can't be forgiven of and go to heaven. Absolutely. I hundred percent believe that. However, there are physical consequences in this world that based on what you've done will always be a part of you. 
and, and there's no way to escape. You know, if, if you, I, I always use this, this example because I work in the bank. If you are a bank robber and you go on a spree of robbing banks and then you come to Jesus or you repent, you come back and you turn your whole life over. I a hundred percent believe you're going to get into heaven, but you're also going to jail for 25 years. We'll visit you in jail. Um, but you're going to jail for 25 years. There, there's no getting around that. And there's no judge that's going to say, well, he was baptized on Sunday. So we're going to forget all that robbing he did. There, no, there's consequences to that. And part of our repentance, part of our turn, part of our um, now new relationship with God is learning to live with and deal with those consequences. That That's okay. That's part of it. And I can be better because of it. Um, I, I think scripturally, you know, I think it would have been very hard every time, you know, Paul walked into to the church of Jerusalem because of the ones that he was there and it stoned originally. You, you don't think he recognized some of those folks in the crowd when he's making speeches and delivering sermons there? Or think about Peter, you know, for the rest of his life, every time that cock crowed, you don't think that that hurt a little bit every time he thought about that? Yeah, I mean, there's consequences to this. Did they do a, incredible things? Absolutely. Did they move on from those sins? Absolutely. But you also can't read Paul's writings to these churches where he talks about him being the chief amongst sinners and not think he's carrying a little bit of that and not think that he thinks about the consequences of what he did in persecuting Jesus. So, I mean, all, all of those things are, are part of who we are. But we got to understand that some consequences, you know, it's just always going to be there. And and for some of us who are tremendous squishes, it's it's also important to remember that that the accountability for those things is still important. And and that 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 part of forgiveness is really hard. Is is when when should grace eliminate those consequences, and when should there be accountability? And I I I think that is a very difficult question. Um, but but from examples like this, we definitely see scriptural uh, evidence that forgiveness doesn't always remove accountability, and um, and and I think your 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 point about legal accountability, you know, certainly stands there. They certainly certainly may have legal accountability, but but even you know amongst brethren, there there's there's a there's a balance that has to be walked there between, between grace and accountability. And, uh, and that, that's true in business also. Um, we've had those conversations before that, that that's, that's challenging when, when there is a mistake, there has to be accountability for the health of the organization. Christ, Christian principles also dictate grace and forgiveness. And so, and so you have to, you have to be able to, to balance those things. Right. And, and I, you know, there's, there was a, there's a story that was told, Oh, goodness. It was a while ago. But it was one of the ones on your granddad where, um, you know, he had a guy that I think he was working for maybe True Check or something. Guy was out and uh, he kept picking up his wife and taking his wife with him. And granddad stopped him and said, look, you can't be doing that. Can't have her in a company truck. Can't do that. And, you know, a week or so later, catches him doing it again. And, you know, he tells the guy, look, man, I've told you. I think it happened maybe three times. He called him the third time and said, all right, I'm going to pay you for the next three months till you find a job, but you don't work here no more. And I think that's the, that that's what I always think of when we have this conversation about the, trying to balance that is, look, man, you, you're directly insubordinate to what we're doing. You're messing up company policy and, and honestly creating some risk because you got somebody else in a company vehicle. But, you know, I still love you. I still care about you. I still want the best for you, but you can't work here anymore because you don't listen. And I think, you know, some way of helping them out the door. Um, but, but I'll also say from, from my standpoint, um, I just love that story on your granddad. Uh, but from my standpoint, I've had sales reps that have worked for me that I've fired because they weren't doing the job. They, they quit, they laid down, you know, weren't following through, weren't doing things that I've let go that have called me years later and thanked me because that's exactly what they needed. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you give somebody every opportunity and, and it's still not clicking, 
but that change, that kind of, you know, cold water on the face woke them up. They're very successful now. And the conversation I had was Mike, if, if you, you know, I was kind of on a destructive path here. And if you hadn't, you know, given me a little dose of reality and made me change, then I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And so, you know, in the moment it's hard, but it may be, you know, the best thing for them, but that's the, the balance. Sometimes the right thing to do for somebody for their soul is to fire them, right. It's, it's to, you know, stop the destructive mess or, you know, the right thing to do for our children. Sometimes is we got to spank them, right. It just, you have to learn that this is horrible. I don't really want to do this, but you cannot play in traffic. So I'm going to beat you every time you try to play in traffic so that you never play in traffic again. Well said. And Hey, he, he tells many stories on my grandfather as you want. I'm, I'm here. I'm here for that. He's got, for those of you that if you haven't met him, if you're on kind of my side of the podcast, um, Michael's grandfather, kind of patriarch of the company, um, has the absolute best stories ever. Um, just pithy sayings of this guy and, and things that he did. He just was an incredible guy. But the stories are are just just amazing. Um, and you know, we're fortunate enough to uh, know him and, and hear some of those stories. But it, I'm convinced, you know, this man's going to be eternal in these stories because. They're never going to die. I mean, as long as I, I'm alive, I'm going to tell them. Um, and anybody that's ever been around them is going to tell these stories. So it's just pretty amazing. Yeah, I certainly hope that's the case. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We are uh, out of time. Um, we were out of time, I think, 15 minutes ago, but that didn't stop us. Uh, but thank you for, for being a part of, of this. Uh, we're going to try to pick this up again, you know, in about a week or so. Um, if Michael doesn't go back off gallivanting. Um, and I find somewhere to live because I'm currently homeless. Uh, so we got a, got a few little things pushing against us, but we'll find some time um, to talk. Uh, there's a few others we've got that we're looking at right now um, that I think there's some great stories and lessons for us to learn. We hope the study has been as beneficial to you as it, as it was to us uh, as you think your way through it. Um, but enjoy your week. Enjoy your day, wherever it takes you. And uh, God bless. God bless, man.